So today we want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, Hanukkah, uh, a little bit about the holiday, and understand a uh, little bit about uh, the, uh, the history. You know, we kind of know the history of Hanukkah, right? For most of us, there's like the conventional wisdom of the history of Hanukkah, right? We know that uh, the, uh, the Second Temple had been built. We know that uh, uh, the, uh, that Israel was being uh, ruled basically by the uh, Greco-Syrians, and they were called, they had another name, they were called Seleucids, uh, and that uh, Antiochus uh, IV, who referred to himself as Epiphanes, a little pride issue there, right, uh, came and desecrated uh, the temple, I, uh, you know, and uh, caused the Jewish people to worship and to live in a way that was more Greek than Jewish. Uh, and this really uh, irritated uh, a certain priestly family, not the high priest, but a certain priestly uh, family, uh, Matisyahu, not the singer, right? Uh, Mattathias is what we usually call him and his sons. His most famous son was Judah uh, Maccabee. It's interesting, when you read it in English, like in the second Maccabee, it's Judas. So this is the good guy, Judas, right? Uh, and, uh, and we read about uh, he and his brothers and others that rebelled right along with them. They made their way uh, to Yerushalayim, and they recaptured the temple. They cleansed the temple, dedicated the temple, and hence the holiday of Hanukkah. The oil uh, in the uh, temple, there was only enough for one day, but it lasted for eight days, hence the eight days of, of Hanukkah. We light our uh, Hanukkah menorah, accentuating the light of, of uh, Hanukkah. So you see, here's the Shamus candle, right? The Shamus, the servant candle. Uh, and we light that one, and then we light the other candles with uh, the Shamus and and so you're uh, hopefully familiar with all of that and, and celebrating Hanukkah. It's really a wonderful, a wonderful holiday. And tonight, you'll have the opportunity to do that. You'll bring your menorah and candles and everything, and we'll light our menorahs, and we'll sing songs, and we'll have potato latkes and, and uh, sufganyot, one of the great Hebrew words of all time, right? Um, the, the, like jelly, kind of like jelly donuts, but what we'll have is, I'm sure, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, so uh, that's what we know about Hanukkah, but there's really a lot more to the uh, story uh, of Hanukkah, right? And uh, it's very, a very interesting story. You know that, now I'm not going to uh, read chapter and verse, we'll be here all day, uh, you do have the did and do have the opportunity to come on Wednesday night. We have a Hanukkah mini course where we're we're basically reading Second Maccabees and understanding uh, what took place and uh, and uh, you know and also the what it teaches us about our own lives and uh, God's calling and all that. But I'll just give a little little uh, historical overview here. So you know that Alexander the Great was, was uh, the king of Greece, and you know that he died, and, and that his uh, uh, kingdom, which was the world as he knew it, basically, was divided up into four parts, right? Divided up into four parts. Uh, one, of those, uh, one of those parts 
was basically centered in Syria, okay? Uh, and they were called the Seleucids. And another part was centered in Egypt. Uh, and they were known as the Ptolemies, right? Starting with a P, right? Okay. Uh, and those were the, really the players that have to do with Judea, have to do with Israel. Uh, and, uh, and as I said a minute ago, the, uh, the Syrians were basically ruling or had control, it's a better way to say it, had control over uh, Judea, right? Okay? Uh, and uh, what happened is, is uh, Antiochus, Antiochus, as I grew up knowing his name, uh, went uh, over to uh, the other side, you know, went past Judea into Egypt uh, and uh, basically had a regional conflict, as we might say today, with, um, with uh, uh, Egypt. Okay? So uh, what happened is, is that he was victorious, but uh, the burgeoning Romans actually kind of uh, uh, caused him to uh, return to, uh, to uh, Syria, to Damascus, right? But, uh, so to speak, on the way, he came into the uh, temple in uh, uh, Jerusalem uh, and pillaged the temple and caused, uh, you know, put up a statue of Zeus and, uh, and uh, things of that nature. But the part that we don't often hear, okay, is that meanwhile, or at the same time that all this was taking place, in Jerusalem, you had uh, a high priest, and his name was Jason, I hate to say, okay? Yeah. His na- it's my son's name. Okay, so uh, his, his name is Jason. And uh, now we could read this, but it would just take too much time. He, and he bought the high priesthood. He bought the high priesthood. And what he did is he came back to Jerusalem and he built a gymnasium. And he caused the Jewish people to live a Greek way of life. Now, the text goes into some of the detail, which we don't need to go into. I, I will just say some of it was painful. But uh, it was a very, uh, uh, he, he, for example, uh, allowed a pagan worship in the temple. The Jewish high priest. Oh, right. Okay. So now uh, there was another, another guy, another priest. His name was Menelaus. And he thought, I want to be the high priest. And so Jason sent Menelaus on an excursion uh, to uh, uh, Antiochus, Antiochus, okay? What Jason didn't realize is that Menelaus used this opportunity to uh, uh, heighten the stakes and offered to pay more if he could be the high priest. And he became the high priest, okay? While he was the high priest, this is when uh, Antiochus comes and pillages the temple. And the text in 2 Maccabees says that as Antiochus was coming into the temple, he was being led by Menelaus into the temple. So the point is, is that there was in the Jewish world already a real movement toward uh, Hellenism, a real movement toward uh, 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 making the Jews assimilate in every which way, shape, and form to the Greek way of life. And when and Theochus came, he was like entering a situation that was already going on, 
Okay? And of course, because he was the king, he uh, made it even worse. Okay? Uh, now, when you read the text uh, here, you see just how bad these high priests uh, were. Uh, they really were very devious. Uh, and it's in this set of circumstances, where after Antiochus uh, uh, comes and, and makes it like law all over Judea, you know, to uh, eat swine, that was a real big one, and, and uh, reversing circumcision, uh, and uh, uh, offering uh, unclean animals uh, in Jerusalem and in other places as well. This is where uh, enter the Maccabees, okay? Uh, and the uh, Maccabees, uh, uh, basically, they begin in a small town called Modin, where they're from. And then they go like from village to village, and they get people along the way to join them, join up with them, right? And then they eventually make their way to Jerusalem. It takes a few years, okay? They make their way to Jerusalem. Finally, they're able to have enough you know, to, to do this. And they recapture the, uh, the temple from the Syrians. And they cleanse the temple. And uh, the celebration of the dedication of the temple uh, is Hanukkah. According to 2 Maccabees, in chapter 10 and 1 Maccabees chapter 4, the reason that it's an eight-day holiday is because the people missed celebrating Sukkot. And so they basically celebrated Sukkot. Uh, you know, uh, and they had palm branches and, you know, and fruit of the land, just like Sukkot. So they celebrated uh, for eight days, according to 2 Maccabees, 1 and 2 Maccabees. Okay? Uh, and then we might wonder... So does this mean then that the uh, Syrians, they were like totally defeated and the war was over and they lulled happily ever after? No. It just so happens that uh, Antiochus dies, not there. He wasn't fighting there. He was, you know, in, at another, somewhere else. And he dies right around Kislev 164 BCE. Uh, right around the time of uh, the recapture and the, the cleansing and the dedication of the temple. Uh, and the uh, Judeans learn about it. You know, they did, not have, they did not have smartphones, right? So it took them a little while to learn about it. And so the, what it says is that they learned about it at Hanukkah, okay, at the dedication. So that means he had already died. And his son, Antiochus V, becomes the king. And he writes a letter to the Jews. And the letter that he writes to the Jews is, you know, after thinking it over, you guys can worship your God the way you want. Okay? So they, they did not attack the temple again. This war or conflict was not over. It went on all the way until about 140 another 20 years. Okay. What about 140? What happens in 140 is that the Syrian Empire begins to fall apart. Okay. Uh, and soon after that, I can't remember exactly what year, but soon after that, uh, they're done. Uh, the Seleucids are done. There's a vacuum. And a nephew of Judah Maccabee, his name is Yohanan. And in most history books, he's called John. Hyrcanus, John Hyrcanus. Did anybody ever hear him? Some of you might have, right? right? He declares himself king 
of Israel. Okay, so this became a problem for many uh, in Israel because the Hasmoneans, which is the family of the Maccabees, right, and their descendants, they uh, were not. Uh, they were not from the tribe of Judah. They were priests for crying out loud, right? Uh, and uh, and so this became problematic. Uh, however, it, it's just an interesting piece of history. For a period of time, Israel functioned as an independent state with a king uh, till about 62 BCE, when the Romans basically took care of that. And uh, you know, and the uh, Herodians of Idumea, uh, they became the rulers of, uh, of Judea. And then we come to the New Covenant times. That's like the history leading up to uh, Jewish history, leading up to the New Testament time, leading up to Yeshua. Okay? All right. So now you have to jump a few hundred years later. Okay? And the next written account of uh, the story of Hanukkah is written in the Talmud. Okay, so now we're talking like about 500 or so, and that's being conservative. It could be 600, maybe. Five to 600, okay? Uh, so think about this now. The events of Hanukkah take place 164. That's when the dedication is. Key slave, 164. Okay, the Maccabees, the books of Maccabees are written uh, very soon after that, okay? Now you, ha you have to go now like five, 600 years or more, and now we have the account in the Talmud. The account in the Talmud uh, recognizes the, uh, recognizes, you know, that there was uh, the, the, the Maccabees, but the, the focus, the main event, the great miracle that happened there, okay, was that the oil in the lamp that they only had for oh, that there was only for one day lasted for eight days. What's interesting is that is nowhere else to be found except in that spot in the Talmud. Okay, and again in our class we talked about the whole thing. We read it all and and, and all that. Uh, so it is it is very interesting. So why uh, why is that? Why does that happen? Where does that come from? The answer, the official answer is, is that the ancient sages did not want to glorify warfare. Uh, did not want to glorify, uh, you know, the sword, so to speak. And, uh, and so rather, they accentuated that now worship uh, was restored and that God did a miracle. Now, sometimes people will ask me, so did the oil last for eight days or not? And what I'll say is, I'm going with the whole thing, okay? Why not, okay? I mean, I don't have a reason to deny it, you know? Uh, was anybody there? No. Uh, in fact, you know, in the ancient world, the only way we know that anything happened is that somebody wrote it down. It's the only way we know that any So whatever they wrote down is what we know to be, what we know to be history. That's, that really is pretty, pretty uh, heavy when you think about that. Uh, but anyway... So, uh, God did the great miracle. Uh, it, you know, yes, in uh, making the oil last for eight days. But according to uh, the Maccabees here, we see that God providentially, providentially allowed the Maccabees to recapture the temple uh, and to preserve 
It, it wasn't just preserving the temple. It was preserving Jewish identity, preserving Jewish life, preserving Jewish worship. Uh, uh, and and it, it made all the it changed Jewish history forever. Little did Judah Maccabee realize it, but it changed Jewish history forever. Because if there was no Maccabees from within and from without, there would have been just tremendous assimilation, and and who knows what would have what would have been. But what's interesting is that when Yeshua comes, there is Jewish identity, there is Jewish worship. Uh, but isn't it interesting uh, to think about? Uh, how, uh, you know, what the Jewish life was like leading up to the, the coming of the Messiah. When you read about the high priests in the Brit Hadashah, they had names like Annas and Caiaphas for particular reasons. You know, these were not Jewish names, right? Much like Jason and Menelaus. Uh, they seem to be a little bit better, you know, than, the, uh, than their predecessors. But it really was uh, quite a uh, uh, quite a difficult uh, quite a difficult time. Now, in the uh, in Second Maccabees, I, I just want to read one uh, a couple of little things. Okay, a couple of little things to explain some things that are really accentuated. What's accentuated uh, in the story is uh, how the Maccabees were able to defeat their enemies. The, that the, depending on which text you're reading, 1st Maccabees or 2nd Maccabees, that the, the Jewish high priests played a uh, very important role in Hellenizing everything. And then the, uh, the glorification of martyrdom is a very important part of the story, okay? The sufferings of people for the sake of righteousness, you could say. What's interesting about the martyrs in the story uh, is that... Uh, no one is glorified. This is really interesting. Obviously, a lot of people must have died in the battles, right? But you don't read about, you don't read about that. Uh, and the martyrs are not uh, military martyrs, okay? The martyrs are people uh, that would not succumb to uh, the Greek lifestyle and were tortured for it, like individual people that were tortured for it uh, and died. Uh, you have a couple of stories. The most famous one is about a woman and her seven sons, Hannah and her seven sons. And they each one, it, this, the, the, the text describes the torture and execution of each one. And when you get toward the end, it's like uh, Antiochus, he, he, wants, he doesn't want him to die. Just do what, I, do what I want you to do. What's the matter with you? You know, and they won't do it. And then the mother dies. And, and, uh, and, and it's very interesting to, you know, to read. Uh, but in the passage that comes in between a description of the desecration of the temple and everything and the, the descriptions of people being executed, the author, uh, the author of 2 Maccabees has this like time out and, and talks to the readers. It's, very, it's like a historical document. He, he like, takes a time out and talks to the readers. This is what he says. Okay. Now I urge those who read this book not to be depressed by such calamities, but to recognize that these punishments were designed not to destroy, but to discipline our people. In fact, it is a sign of great kindness not to let the impious al alone for long, but to punish them immediately. For in the, in the case of our other nations, in the case of the other nations, 
The Lord waits patiently to punish them until they have reached the full measure of their sins. But he does not deal in this way with us, in order that he may not take vengeance on us afterward, when our sins have reached their height. Therefore, he never withdraws his mercy from us. Although he disciplines us with calamities, he does not forsake his own people. Let what we have said serve as a reminder. Let, let what we have said serve as a reminder. We must go on briefly with the story. <laughs> and then he describes uh, uh, Eleazar, who dies, and Hannah and the seven sons, uh, who, who die. And so it's kind of interesting that it recognizes uh, that uh, dying for the sake of righteousness uh, is something that perhaps happens to us, you know, and, uh, uh, and so that uh, uh, it gives a very interesting view of suffering, that it is not always, oh, it must be the enemy, you know, because if it was God, everything would work out great, that uh, that is not uh, the, the view that you get here. The view that you get here is accentuating the value of what's called Kedush Hashem, right? The sanctification of God's name through, uh, through dying. What's interesting about all of this uh, is, is that when you come to the Brit Harashad, you come to the New Covenant, you can see uh, these values when you read about Yeshua. You can see these values when you read about Yeshua. That Yeshua surrendered his life to God, right? Uh, and that uh, on the surface, you could say, well, what a failure. He died, right? But he died for our sins, and then he had victory, and he rose from the dead. And his death had great, uh, certainly had great meaning. And he talks a lot about dying. We're used to reading those texts as if they're all metaphors for, uh, you, you know, not, uh, uh, not eating the chocolate cake, because I'm trying to die to self, uh, you know, or uh, I will uh, try, I'll do my best to sin less and die to self. But I would suggest that when Yeshua talks about bearing the cross and dying and, the, you know, there's no greater love that one can have for his brother than, than, than to die for his friend, right? That he's thinking about dying, like death, dying, Right? Uh, and that sometimes that is, uh, and sometimes that is indeed the uh, case. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes uh, we have to recognize that persecution comes uh, and to see it not as necessarily something uh, horrible, uh, but it's sort of part and parcel of what happens. There's also here an aspect of the Hanukkah story uh, that was... Um, that uh, gave new life to the Hanukkah story beginning in the late 1800s, okay? Because, you know, in the Middle Ages, the Hanukkah story kind of, um, I, I mean, it was celebrated, but uh, it really was very much a minor holiday. After all, the people were in exile for a long time. There was no temple. This was, a, you know, an old story that took place. But with the rise of Zionism, Hanukkah took on new life. Why? Because the Zionists saw themselves to be like the Maccabees. You know, we have to, we have to recapture Eretz Yisrael. We have to recapture Yerushalayim. And, uh, you know, and, and we have to uh, 
uh, you know, by God's help, move forward. Although the difference between the Maccabees and the Zionists was pretty big uh, in that the Zionists were not necessarily believing in God at the time. Uh, yes, many of them were, but certainly not all. Uh, if you know the, uh, the history of, uh, of the early Zionists, you know, certainly in Russia, uh, and, and, and so on. But they had that sense of the, the new Jewish man, not one to be, um, uh, you know, persecuted, but to recapture, right? Uh, and then certainly after the Holocaust, uh, you know, that becomes um, very much on the, uh, on the front burner. And hence you have then the history of the modern state of Israel. Okay. So that's sort of the story. Okay. That's kind of the story. Now, the Haftorah portion for today is very interesting. The Haftorah portion comes from Zechariah. And, of course, if you know the history of Torah and Haftorah portions and how they came to be, uh, it should not surprise us then that the, that the uh, Haftorah portion has to do with light uh, and has to do with you know, oil and light uh, because that was the great value of the sages the very people who determined what the Torah portions and half Torah portions were going to be on all the holidays and, 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 and every week. And so because to them, the oil lasting for eight days, that was the great miracle. That's what we celebrate. That's the marvelous thing. You know, that uh, they picked a, a passage that doesn't really have to do with Hanukkah, okay, uh, but uh, has to do with building the second temple, okay, building the second temple. And of course, the, uh, the, main, uh, the main passage is chapter 4. Uh, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay? So, what's going on here? Well, Zechariah is a prophet, right, after the Babylonian captivity, right? And he and Haggai were kind of, they probably knew each other. They were prophets at the same time, Okay? Uh, and they were both all about the rebuilding of the temple. Now, when the Jewish people came back from the, uh, came back from the uh, captivity, it was only a remnant of people that came back from the captivity. It wasn't uh, everybody in Babylon, right? In fact, from the Babylonian captivity to today, more, people have lived outs more Jews have lived outside of Eretz Yisrael than inside uh, of, of the land, right? Even in the days of Yeshua, by the way. Okay, uh, and so uh, a smaller group of people return. Now, when they had read before the captivity, the understanding of of the prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel and all of them, was that you know all the good parts at the end of the prophets, you know, like uh, in Amos, the tabernacle of David will be rebuilt and. And then, you know, in Isaiah, you have uh, the nation shall come to Jerusalem and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and all that, right? They thought that was going to be at the end of the captivity, at the end of the Babylonian captivity. So they come back to Jerusalem, and they're like totally disheartened because it's in shambles, and, and there's people living in the land, and, and we're having a really hard time rebuilding the temple. Where's all those promises, Right? So this is what gave rise to the understanding, of course, the correct understanding, that the, uh, the results of what the prophets were saying, the, the great moment to come, was going to come in the, in the future. It wasn't happening 
you know, in 516 BCE when the Jewish people returned from the captivity. It wasn't happening. So they were disheartened and they had a hard time being motivated to rebuild the temple. So God raised up some prophets, uh, Haggai and Zechariah in particular, uh, and God gave Zechariah a series of visions, okay? Having to do, like, for example, in chapter 3, it had to do with the restoration of the priesthood, Joshua the priest. In the fourth chapter, it has to do with a great promise to Zechariah that the temple is going to be rebuilt, okay? So that's what's going on, and, and this is what we read, right? Uh, beginning in verse uh, uh, 2. So Zechariah is having this vision, and he says, uh, what do you see? The, he, the angel says, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand of gold, and a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps that are on top of it. That's a lot of spouts, right? So it's like you see the, the bowl on top, seven bowls, and then seven coming out of each one. Wow. That's like a lot of light, right? That's a lot of oil coming out here, right? That, that, that's needed here. Okay. Then also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, one on the other side what's left. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? He's going to answer this two times. He gets two answers. So what are these, uh, my Lord? So the angel, I love this answer. I mean, it's a great answer. So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? Now, if I was Zechariah, it would have taken everything for me not to say, that's why I asked you the question. Okay. Anyway, and I said, no, my Lord. And he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and it will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, or chen, chen, grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised a day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line of the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. Okay. So he sees this vision of like this uh, mega menorah, right? This mega lampstand. And you have two olive trees that are supplying an endless amount of oil to this lamp that's shining really brightly, right? Uh, and, uh, and the answer that's given to him when he says, what is this, or what are these trees, or what is this, is, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The mountain that you see will become a plain, meaning this great problem is going to flatten out. And who will despise the day of small things? That this temple will be very, very significant, right? So not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I, you know, it's very interesting words, chayil, right? And koach are the Hebrew words. Uh, not by might, not by power. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, chayil is like army, right? Not by force, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, we have to ask ourselves, so what does that mean? Does that mean that 
uh, that Zerubbabel is being told, don't do anything, just sort of, you know, get some uh, sweet tea and some shades and wait uh, wait for it to happen, right? Not by might, after all, not by power but by my spirit. Well, may I, may I suggest that it's something to the effect of not by your own will. You can't get this done just by willing it to happen, right? You can't get this done by, by just sheer um, determination uh, using all of your resources. That you must realize that it is indeed the power of God that will bring this to pass, right? And that's what we say about most things, Right? that uh, God calls us to use our minds, to use our, our, uh, all that we have. In fact, the Shema is sort of a very, um, this, you know, it would be the underpinnings of this statement, right? If we're going to love the Lord with everything that we have, right, that means we dedicate everything that we have to the service of God, uh, and that we're also people of prayer and people of trust and belief and and recognize that it is indeed the power of God that will bring it to pass. And so what God is saying to Zerubbabel is be encouraged because I'm right, I have your back, right? right? The light, the light represents, of course, the, the presence of God and the, the power of God. And that is what, uh, that is how, what Zerubbabel is supposed, to be, is supposed to be encouraged by, right? To say, I see it. Okay, let's keep going. That this mountain will become a molehill, right? You know, that it becomes little. The big mountain becomes little. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that there will be success. In fact, if you look at Haggai in the second chapter, I think it's in the fifth verse, you read there, my spirit is in your midst, uh, is what God tells, uh, is what Haggai says to the people. My spirit is in your midst, right? Yes, indeed, you are empowered Using all of your resources, you are empowered to rebuild this temple and you will indeed succeed. Okay? And so, of course, this is read on, on Hanukkah. This was appropriated by the rabbis to apply to not the building of the temple, but the rededication of the temple. And by the way, you know, something that, again, is a very interesting observation that we could talk about sometime is how come we don't have a holiday like Hanukkah when the temple was finished? Like when the temple was rebuilt, there's no holiday. We don't have any holiday that celebrates the rebuilding of the second temple. But we have a big holiday that's gone for thousands of years and that we love to celebrate uh, in, this, uh, in this Maccabean revolt. <laughs> and the recapture of the temple and, and, its, uh, and its dedication that uh, evidently to our ancestors, this event was profound and probably because it changed the course of Jewish history. It preserved Jewish identity, Jewish worship, covenant relationship, the whole thing, and paved the way providentially for uh, the uh, coming of the uh, Messiah. Uh, and so I think that it's uh, certainly important uh, uh, for us to, to appreciate. And, and when we celebrate Hanukkah, uh, that uh, it sort of uh, reminds us of, uh, of our own uh, calling and what God desires you know, to do in our lives. We're called, of course, to be a light, a light to our people, to the Jewish people and the community around us. 
right? And sometimes it can be discouraging because things don't happen in a, the time period or in a way or the way we think it ought to be or whatever, and we get discouraged. But we got to remember, wait a minute, all right? I, I, it is uh, Ruachi, my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, who will bring this to pass, not by might, not by power, not by all of our ingenuity, not by all of our planning, not by uh, finances, not by uh, strategy, not by this, not by, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we're called to love God with everything that we have, but to make sure that we're doing so in the context uh, you know, of serving the Lord. There's a book uh, that I like to read once in a while, and it's called Spiritual Activism. It's a great phrase, <laughs> you know, spiritual activism. Uh, and you're not going to agree with everything in the book. It's not written by a believer. It's just kind of an interesting book, okay, in the, in the Jewish world. Uh, but we would make the application that we're called to be activists. We're called to take initiative. Uh, we are called to make a difference in this world, right? Uh, uh, in being a light to the world, which uh, can mean, we know, uh, we'll say it just like dying to self, right? But maybe even being persecuted, whatever the, you know, uh, that, that indeed can happen. Be like the Maccabees, you know, be people that say, look, this is what's happening. We're called to make a difference. Now, in our uh, framework, uh, it is we're called to be like Yeshua, right? And isn't it interesting? You have in the book of Philippians, in the Brit Hadashah, Paul uh, makes this little statement. He says it a couple of different ways, right? Uh, and it's this. First, in the first chapter, toward the very end of the chapter, he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Yeshua, of Messiah, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Messiah's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And it's interesting. Not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now, see, then the next chapter begins with therefore. Therefore, in other words, okay, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, for, for to you it has been granted for Messiah's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of, of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. And then he goes on to talk about having the attitude of Yeshua and, and all that that means. What he's saying is, what he's saying to the Philippians is, time is short, everybody. Recognize what's important. Recognize the priorities. 
And so therefore, be of the same mind. Don't just be thinking about, is this good for me? I don't know if I like this. Let's not, let's not do this. Bah, 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 bah. I don't get along with this one. Right? Because that's, this is where uh, Paul says in the fourth chapter, tell those people to get along with each other. Right? It's in this book. That's where he says that. Why? Because we need to be of one mind. Because God has called us to a particular meaning and to a particular purpose. And we know what that is. To make disciples of the nations, to share the good news with our people, to demonstrate to a, a world an alternative way of life in Messiah. That's, that's the business that we're called to. And everything that we do and every attitude that we have needs to be furthering the cause of Yeshua. So we need to see ourselves to be kind of like those Maccabees, Right? Uh, having a vision, not, uh, not assimilating. What has God called Beth Messiah congregation to be? We're called to, uh, we're called to value Jewish identity, Jewish worship, Jewish way of life. And, and it's not easy to do when you're a believer in Yeshua, of course, uh, in the world in which we live, right? And so we need to recognize and have the right priority and be about God's business uh, in that way. Uh, and when, so when we light the menorah, it just, it makes it so much more real when we recognize the story of, of Hanukkah and what took place, uh, you know, and the price that was paid. Uh, and then when you think about how that leads up to the good news of Yeshua and what took place and the price that was paid and our calling in that, wow, when we light the menorah, when we light the shamus, the shamus reminds us of Yeshua, the light of the world, right? And then you have all of us, and he is the one who lights us, right? We abide in him, he abides in us. Without him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And so the story of Hanukkah reminds us of that. And of course, in this particular uh, menorah, uh, and we'll say this again tonight, that it's nice, it's just a nice visual that you have the, the shamus in the middle joining the two sides of the, the menorah, right? Uh, Israel and the nations, one could say. Isn't that great? Uh, and, uh, and all of us, uh, you know, serving the Lord as one, and Yeshua who ties us all indeed together. So Hanukkah, now you can see maybe why the early Zionists thought that Hanukkah really is, that's our holiday, man, you know? Uh, because really we need to have that same kind of fervor and that same kind of zeal uh, uh, for our messianic Jewish calling, uh, and uh, not to ever lose sight of it. You know, when we got all kinds of, you know, we have diff different things that we do, and different uh, aspects of ministry, and so on, we need to really see ourselves as, okay, come on, let's uh, be about the business, indeed, that uh, God has given us. And uh, what a blessing it is, you know. He also says in this first chapter of Philippians, He who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Messiah Yeshua. God began this work. He continues this work. Uh, he will continue this work to the day of Messiah Yeshua. And, uh, you know, we are a congregation that's over 40 years old. And so uh, with a lot of interchangeable parts over the years, right? You know, think about that. We, uh, and just in closing, you know, the great illustration of Columbus, Ohio is always, always, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, right? What I like to say, by the way, you know, when I'm in my, our UMJC steering committee meetings, I say, we're Buckeyes, we travel well. You know, when we go to conferences, we usually bring like more people than a lot of other places. But anyway, that's another story. But, 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 but. 
So, you know, a lot of people here are, you know, big Buckeye fans, big Buckeye fans. Oh, I remember a few years ago. Oh, I remember. When, I remember. Well, every year it's a different team, right? Every year it's different people on, on the team, right? Uh, and, and so and it's, it's so true about life that, for example, Beth Messiah, the people that were here in 1975 are not here, right? Uh, now, you do have a few people from, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Not too many, right? Yeah, uh, I, I see it. I see it. Okay. All right. And, uh, you know, and, and, and a few others as well, right? Uh, um, and, and so we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's really, you got to embrace that. Uh, to steal a line from another big Jewish holiday for such a time as this, <laughs> Right? Uh, and so may we be encouraged at Hanukkah, and may our lives be like Hanukkah, you know, dedicated, dedicated, devoted to the calling and service of God. And so, not by might, not by power, yes, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you uh, for this wonderful holiday of Hanukkah, uh, Lord and uh, God, we thank you, God, for the, the sense that the Maccabees had is that whatever it takes, we're going to do to recapture the uh, temple. Lord, may we have that same kind of zeal. And Lord, uh, God, I thank you, Lord, for Yeshua. Yeshua, who uh, uh, kind of like the Maccabees, you know, dedicated to the cause, but, but uh, perfection and, you know, the glo- he's the glory of Israel, the glory of of the Jewish people, Yeshua, in his zeal. And we thank you, Lord, that he did not, um, he, uh, it wasn't about so much the physical temple, but Lord, we thank you, God, as we read in the New Covenant book of Titus, uh, where we read that he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us uh, uh, from every lawless deed, recapture us, just like the Maccabees recaptured the temple, and purify for himself a people for his own possession. And they purified the temple so that the temple would be able to be used. And so we are not only reclaimed uh, in Yeshua, but we are purified. We are cleansed to be used by God. Zealous for good deeds. Lord, may we be zealous for good deeds. May we be zealous for your cause. May we always have our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith with such a great cloud of witnesses that we read about in, in Hebrews chapter 11. People who had great faith through suffering. Lord, uh, may you indeed continue to burn the vision, the Messianic Jewish vision that we have before us, Lord. And God, may we see a fruit uh, come from it as we dedicate our lives, Lord, in all that we have, Lord, to your cause. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.